0: Women have been a part of carrying the gospel where it's not for generations, and part of the legacy they've left can be found in the courage their stories inspire in an entirely new generation of women who would go. But that legacy can only be realized if their stories are told. Welcome to the Velvet Ashes Legacy Podcast. Welcome to your Velvet Ashes Legacy Podcast. This is the podcast where we highlight the women who have inspired us to live our lives in pursuit of the lost. I am Denise Beck, the Executive Director of Velvet Ashes.
1: I'm Sarah Hilkman, Program Director for Velvet Ashes. And today we are bringing you the story of Lottie Moon.
0: But before we get into the story, I wanted to tell you a little bit about how we have decided to tell the stories. First thing, it's super important that you know that we are not experts. We are just women who have been impacted by the legacy that has been left, so we're highlighting them. We, we've we decided we're going to do this in a particular way. Here's how it's going to work. We are going to study. We're going to read. We are going to fill ourselves up with information about the women that we have chosen for the month, and then Sarah and I are just going to pull out our favorite nuggets to tell you, and Sarah is going to take the before you get to the field aspect of the story. So what was it like for the woman to choose this life? And what about her story will be impacted by how she grew up? And so Sarah is going to talk about that every month. And then I'm going to take the part of after she has arrived, the people, the place, the stories that make her legacy something that has impacted us. Along the way, we might find that there are significant issues that they faced today that are still impacting us. And we might choose to just sit on that for a little bit as we discuss it with you. So that is how we are going to bring you the stories every month. So Sarah, let's tell them why we chose Lottie Moon. I mean, we, this is the very first one that we are doing. So why, why Lottie?
1: Yeah. So I think we tried to think of a woman that maybe people would know, and maybe you haven't heard of Lottie Moon and that's totally fine, but Lottie definitely has a significant legacy and that is so important. Also, she's just a fascinating woman. Like, uh, we might get into this, but one of my favorite things is that she was hardly over four feet tall. And I just think that is fascinating.
0: It is fascinating. Okay. So funny tidbit is Sarah and I work remotely, so we don't get to be in person very often, but we both saw each other across screens for a long time. And when we first saw each other in person, we're both tall and our comments to each other were, we thought you were shorter. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? so, well, yeah. Lottie definitely was short. <laughs> Lottie was short.
0: Lottie was short. But yeah, you know, so we may cover women in the future that are lesser known, but we wanted to start with someone that a lot of people know and for the Southern Baptist Lottie moon is very well known and sometimes someone that is so well known becomes. Um, not personal to you, because you think you know her story, but then when you really take the time to hear it again, she is much more than the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is what she has become synonymous for. So, all right, so take us back, Sarah, to the beginning, little Lottie Moon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I just want to say, sometimes we think that cross-cultural workers might have a certain type of background, a certain type of story growing up. And I think one of the things that we will find as we talk about these different women's stories, and one of the reasons that we don't just talk about her time on the field, is that there can be so much variety. And um, I'm excited to see the ways that God uses that in the lives of these women. And I think that can be an encouragement to us. So little Lottie. She was born Charlotte Diggs Moon in December 1840. We don't totally know the date, somewhere around December 12th, and her family was a wealthy Baptist family in Virginia. Lottie was the fourth of seven children, and her family, her parents' faith was super important to them, uh, particularly her mother. Her mother was very devout, and she actually read stories to her children uh, about cross-cultural workers as they were growing up. So someone that we might talk about in the future is um, Anne Judson, and that was one of the stories that um, Lottie especially loved growing up which I think is so cool to see that, um, you know, we talked about in our starting episode that there are these stories that have influenced us. And the story of Anne Judson was one that really influenced Lottie. But Lottie and her siblings actually did not share their parents' faith. And sometimes they would do like different tricks or different shenanigans to get out of going to church with their parents. They just were very like... (laughs) Yes. Um, And maybe even, you know, at some points you could say they were hostile to Christianity, but education was one of the things that was really important to their whole family. They set aside money, even after Lottie's father passed away um, when she was pretty young, it was in 1853. Lottie's mother continued to run the estate and set aside money for their education. So I really feel like Lottie's siblings would put me to shame, at least um, education wise. Her sister, Oriana, was determined to be a doctor in a time when a lot of women were not yeah. going into a medical profession. And she was one of the first Southern women to earn a medical degree. And oh she God. served in the Civil War. And actually, she eventually went to Jerusalem to be a doctor. And that was actually where um, the sister of Lottie's became a believer. Lottie herself was very well-educated, very smart. She was one of the first women in the South to earn a master's degree and um, went to, you know, some of the best schools. Okay. She was proficient in Latin, Greek, French, Italian, and Spanish. And she could read Hebrew.
0: So later, when we hear that it took her like lightning speed to learn the Chinese language, we can understand why she had yes. some language background there.
1: Yeah. Yes, I am doing well to speak a second language, and so I I can't imagine that is so impressive right. to me. So Lottie was kind of um, stinker. She she liked to play tricks on people. So one story that I found that was really funny was that one April Fool's Day, uh, when she was studying, she climbed up into the bell tower of the school and she stuffed it with a sheet so that it couldn't ring and announce the start of school for that day. That is hysterical. She's she's like the kind of
0: kids that I just like to sit back and watch other people parent. You know, you're, you're like, you like, oh, do. they're so much fun, but you
1: don't actually want to be that parent, of that child. right? Yes, she was pretty feisty. Um, so through her growing up, she really remained indifferent towards Christianity, and many of her friends tried to share Christ with her to um, talk about salvation, but she didn't really want anything to do with it. So in 1858, there was a revival that came to town where she was attending school. And she told a friend that she was actually going to make fun of the people who were there, but God had a different idea. And she was really convicted as she listened to the preacher that night she went back to her room and she spent the whole night in prayer. Like she just was really impacted by this revival and um, the pastor that she had listened to. And the next day she was baptized. She had turned her life to God, um, which I, I just love that, you know, yeah. this part of oh, her. of Wasn't there
0: a story about like something about she tried to sleep one night and she couldn't because a dog was barking and it like kept her up. And that is why she, I don't remember something like that. Like she decided to go because this dog had kept her up all night. And so I don't know, but I, I I think of that because how many of us have been on the field and the roosters or the animals outside, you know, have kept us up and it was like the Lord working through that in her heart.
1: But yeah, I, I just love that. God wove the details together. You know this this woman who had this strong Christian influence growing up, but had been very indifferent towards matters of salvation. And yet, one her friends really cared about her and were really praying for her. Um, and two, seeing that God got a hold of her heart um, was just really really cool. Her friends, I think, really noticed a difference. Then, like she was still she was still feisty Lottie, but now she definitely had this spirit and determination for things of prayer and, um, growing in her faith. So even from that time, she had a stirring to go overseas, even, you know, not long after she had become a believer, but then we have the civil war happening and Lottie needed to take care of her family, care for her mother. Um, she had other, you know, responsibilities and, you know, I think a lot of us can identify with that, you know, feeling the pull, the calling um, to go and serve overseas, but then also feeling the, the tension of maybe older parents or just needs of family and, you know, caring for people. And so Lottie did that. She, she stayed and she took care of her parents or her mother and her siblings in the Civil War. Um, and she taught school in that time and actually helped start a school for girls in Georgia um, in 1871. So another of Lottie's sisters, Edmonia, also had this calling to go overseas and she really wanted to go to China. But at that time, it was very difficult for single women to go overseas. And so finally, Edmonia was able to go with another family. And this really like intrigued Lottie and you know, really stirred some things up in her. And so after reading Edmonia's letters, these really impacted Lottie, um, hearing about the work that Edmonia was doing. And so um, finally, Lottie was able to also go. And um, she traveled around the US, um, around you know, Georgia, where she was teaching to get support from people and to share about the work that she was going to do. And also, even from this point, to really encourage um, others to think about going as well. And so um, she set sail for China on September 1st, 1873. Oh my goodness. Well,
0: and even, you know, the talk about Edmonia and her influence, one of the things I read that I loved that Edmonia said to Lottie that later you hear Lottie saying back. So it's even the influence that Edmonia had her whole life was when Edmonia was appealing to Lottie to be able to go, it was, you were doing a noble work at home, but are there not some who could fill your place there? I don't know of anyone mm-hmm. who can feel your place being offered you here, you know, and yeah, you can almost hear a little bit of that honoriness that you hear, you know, maybe it was all the siblings. They just had a little bit yeah. of an honorary streak, but you know, that those words were, transformative enough and Lottie that she's like, yeah, you're right. And she was so educated that when she left, you know, people were giving her a hard time saying, you know, what a waste, what a waste that all that education goes somewhere else, you know? And, um, you know, I think that that just even goes to say, and these people that were saying that were believers themselves, you know, that it's not a new thing. If you, um, find pushback in your, believing family or church Mm. you know about your decisions that you want to do so but yes yeah okay so she is now in China she has answered the call um our little Henri Lottie is now arrived um and so one of the first places that she arrives is um a place called Tingchao and there she was greeted by well-known missionaries at the time. So, um, TP Crawford, JB Hartwell, um, were working in this town and, um, you know, actually just to be really transparent, they weren't getting along. And so mm-hmm. a small number of global workers actually working in this area and they decide to split and start two different churches, you know? And so it's just like, if you have trouble with your team you are not the first, it has been going on for generations. And so, um, so they end up, you know, clashing there. I think the interesting thing to point out is, um, that in front of one of these churches where this gentleman, Mr. Crawford ended up serving for 40 years. If you were to go there today, you don't find a mention of him, but a mention of Lottie and a time yeah. when women weren't even, going and allowed to go and allowed to teach and allowed to do something. It just, I just love that that shows you don't have to be the one at top getting the recognition and the power to make, have an influence that is lasting Mm -hmm. in there. So um, she was met by mentors, um, Sally Holmes and Mrs. Crawford, Martha Crawford, they in their own rights, maybe we'll cover them someday, Sarah. I don't know. I was fascinated. Sally Holmes, Who became a mentor to her in her own life had many, many hard things happen. You know, she went as a young woman. Her husband ends up being killed trying to stop a rebellion. Her daughter had just died a few weeks previous to that. After her husband died, she finds out she's pregnant and she decides to stay, you know. And so in her own right, that is a woman that we need to talk about someday. But this Is who fresh to the field Lottie is being mentored by. And Martha Crawford and Sally Holmes, their ministry was let's get into the village, let's go and visit. And they like were tireless in how they did this. They went to so many villages that Lottie was exhausted by their efforts, but it was part of her training when she, you know for those of us who have had to go through training that we feel like, why? I just want to go. I just want to be there. You know, this, I view as like part of that training that at the time she didn't realize how it was shaping her, but it became such a big part of how she eventually even did ministry when she wasn't with them. So anyway, when she joined these people there and was living with them, she was there and As was the policy of the day, single women had to be under the authority of men. So they actually couldn't even live by themselves. Well, Sarah, you have told us how ornery Lottie was. Imagine somebody trying to tell her what to do based on what we (laughs) know. Lottie, who you tell people that her middle initial D stood for devil, you know, is super ornery and having other men tell her how to do her work or what's best for her, as you can imagine, probably didn't go super well. She was strong-willed. She was opinionated. And so eventually she began the correspondence with the Foreign Missions Board that allowed her to eventually separate and live on her own and not be under the authority in the same house you know, as these men. And so really that correspondence, as we see it maybe began here, is one of the legacies of Lottie Moon is her prolific letters that she wrote back to the foreign missions board, to her family, you know, to eventually um, later Admonia when she leaves the field, the correspondence is significant that they write back and forth to even later when she, her letters inspire a movement of giving and resources um, that still exists today. So here we see that maybe the beginning of that was this, um, you know, I'm not going to do this. I can't, I can't function in this way. Help me out here. You know? So she began, you know, going into the villages with Sally, with Martha, they would teach songs. And, you know, as you can imagine, you mentioned Lottie was wealthy. Lottie was actually so wealthy. You know, we, her uncle actually owned Monticello, the estate that you hear about the two mile stretch of road where her family home was, was like presidents and important people lived mm-hmm. on this road. And so she's coming into this culture and, you know, I think she felt very highly of herself at the beginning, you know, Sarah, we were even talking about this before that you see that change over her life. But, you know, here at yeah. the beginning, when she is riding into town, one of the things that the children would say to her was that they would call them foreign devils. And, I'm sure we've all been called different things, you know, as we enter a culture and, you know, at this time in this culture, you know, foreigners weren't exactly welcomed in and and stuff that was happening politically around the world made that even more so than just you're weird and I don't understand the way you dress, you know, but so she, you know, would take that from older people, you know, she would not be cantankerous, but when it came to the children. No, she stood up to them. And when the boys, you know, would say that to her, she would directly tell them, you don't have any manners and they would shut their mouths and they would sit down. And when in 30 minutes they were singing hymns and, you know, she was teaching them. And so she, obviously she was familiar with teaching children and being an authority over them. And that just showed itself. But one of the things, you know, as, as we see her edges start to soften toward her view of the Chinese people and her superiority maybe over them for lack of a better word was this tension with culture that she saw. So um she recognized the injustice of culture um as she ministered there. So like foot binding. Have you heard of foot binding?
1: Yes, yeah. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> it
0: sounds so painful. I mean I had heard about it, you know, like honestly, like I watched move on with my kids when they were little and like you know they even reference like the small things but so this was super painful where it was breaking the bones of the feet of girls because of how much it was looked up to to have tiny tiny feet and she could see that it was you know, this was not good for them. This was actually debilitating. And, and she spoke out against it. And, you know, the parents were just like, we want good marriage proposals. And she was like, I think you want a daughter who can walk, you know, eventually as well. So, so she spoke out against things like that, that she saw in culture that she didn't think agreed with even the gospel's message in general, but She also, where she felt like there was no contradiction with the gospel, she adopted culture because she saw it as, you know, if there's a barrier, if there's a wall between the message of the gospel because of the way I dress or because of things that I do, that's, that's not what I'm here for. I am not here to bring my culture. I'm here to bring the gospel. And so she was one of the pioneers, even in a time when, you know, we look back on and think of colonization that she was dressing like the Chinese people in a way to um, remove those barriers.
1: Well, and I think it really showed the growing love that she had for the people. You know, I don't know that we would say that she loved the Chinese people when she first got there. But I think as she saw those things in their culture, that she could appreciate. Um, And as she grew to care about the people. Yeah, I think that just that really grew in her through those years.
0: You're so right. And I think about the story that really, I think, reflects that. So we talked about her, the villages that she would visit. And there's a story that one day she had been to 10 villages sharing in one day. I've been trying to put myself in that context because we lived where there were villages and visiting one village a day was totally exhausting to me. And so for her to do 10, they said they sat down her sedan chair And she said she was too tired to do any more teaching that day, but the people just kept coming to her. And she is quoted as saying, we have the words of eternal life and we must share them. So she continued teaching, you know, it was like, obviously her love for the people and the needs that she saw really was more important to her at that point than her own needs and her own health. Okay, Sarah, so you mentioned all of those languages. And so within three years, she had mastered the Chinese language. And I, like for, for us, that that was one term, that was one term of three years. And I definitely did not master the language in three years. And it was not as hard as Chinese. I can
1: imagine. So I know
0: uh, I imagine the tension on a team when you have somebody that is really proficient in that, and then make that be a single woman who has her own ideas. You know, I just can't imagine that maybe there was some tension over, over that there. But so during the first five years that she was there, um, there was an issue with Edmonia. She had had an ailment that she really struggled with while she was on the field and it just affected her so much that eventually she had to leave. She had to leave the field. And so, um, Lottie escorted her back and, um, Edmonia never returned, but Lottie was very much, I'm not staying. I'm here to just bring you here. And, and, and she and that then began this correspondence that would continue for the rest of Edmonia's life. The things that, um, that ailment had troubled her with actually just stayed with her her whole life and it caused her some mm-hmm. mental distress and eventually she took her own life um, in 1909 and so she dealt with that for quite a while because that was actually that's only three years before Lottie died you know so she spent a significant portion of her life in correspondence with Lottie over that but I think this helped propel the idea of the importance of mental health and rest into Lottie. Um, Sarah, you were talking about the story of even the Crawfords and how that might have impacted mm-hmm. her. Do you mind sharing that as well?
1: Yeah, so the Crawfords, um, as you said, Denise, you know, were this couple that were there when when Lottie arrived. And they had served for a very long time, dealt with a lot of things, you know, in a very um, pioneering situation. And Mr. Crawford struggled with some different you know, just burnout probably uh, and and mental health struggles. And at one point he left and his wife did not even know for sure where he went um, because he had some mental struggles. And, you, you know, I think Lottie said maybe they left once in the whole mm-hmm. time that they were on the field. And so that also impacted Lottie's thinking about furlough and the idea of rest and, and also paying attention to mental health and how workers are doing.
0: Yeah. And so she began like appealing for no, we aren't just these hardy individuals that, you know, are superhuman. Like you have to keep taking care of yourself. And those who send us have to understand that we need rest. And so it was in this season when she began appealing for furloughs to be a thing. And, you know, even though it wasn't approved until 1899. I feel like these stories just were building and she was a woman of action and she made things happen. And so that, I think that that probably began in here, but while she was back, she kind of reconnected with a man named Crawford Howell toy. And he was one of her professors as a man that she really looked up to. And first season, he was interested in his mission and maybe serving in Japan. And so she kind of, you know, I believe was walking down this mental aisle of being married to him and spending a life together. And, and then, um, he began and kept pursuing higher education. And it was through that pursuit of higher education that he began to be influenced by some things that were later called heretical. And, um, when she, heard of this, you know, her first thought was, you know, maybe I need to reconsider. I need to go to him. I need to, you know, you know, because she's back, she's back on the field at this point. You know, she's kind of rekindled things. She's back on the field. She starts hearing these things. And she's like, well, maybe, maybe I just need to go to him and, you know, talk through this stuff. And and then she was reconsidering in light of, man, if if I leave, I mean, she's already processing mental health of colleagues. And she's like, that, that put so much more stress on them. They're already fatigued. And I take away um, a small number of us. So if I leave to go address these issues with him, what, what am I leaving here? Um, and she had such this clear understanding of God's will for her life. Like she was convinced I am where I'm supposed to be. This is the work he has for me. And if I go back, you know, is it possible that I will be swayed from that, you know? And so she, she, mm lead into that. And, and like you mentioned earlier, her, just her love for the people kept increasing and increasing. And so she decided I'm not, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to continue to pursue that. And it's really, you know, talked about that. This was a moment that cemented her long-term service. You know what I'm choosing here over a potential family over a potential relationship And um, it was noted that on her death, there were many books in her library devoted to the errors that this gentleman toy supported. So it was obvious that she was just continuing in that brilliant mind of hers to research and to, you know, shore up in herself. I made the right decision. This is, it was good that I stood my ground here. So it was, it was hard work. She was, she returned to the field, you know, in light of all the mental health things, and it was hard. And then, you know, in her correspondence back with, the foreign missions board, she got word that someone said that the days of missionary hardship was over. The biblical recorder had said the days of missionary hardships are over. So our little Lottie who, you know, is quite spirited and she's not going to let anyone get away from this. I just have to read her words because I just, I find this hysterical, you know, I just wonder who was reading this. If they were just laughing with me and like, oh yeah, that's our girl Lottie or what, but she says I am always ashamed to dwell on physical hardships, but this time I have departed from my usual reticence because I know that there are some in their pleasant homes in America without any real knowledge of the facts declaring that the days of missionary hardships are over. To speak in the open in a foreign tongue from six to 11 times a day is no trifle. The fatigue of travel is something, the ends are simply the acme of discomfort. If anyone fancies sleeping on brick beds in rooms with dirt floors and walls blackened by smoke for many generations, the yard also being a stable yard and the stables being three feet from your door, I wish to declare most emphatically that as a matter of taste, I differ. If anyone thinks he would like the constant contact with the great unwashed, I must say from experience, that I find it unpleasant. If anyone thinks the constant exposure of risk to smallpox and other contagious disease against which the Chinese take no precaution is just a moment of charming life, I should continue to differ. In a word, let him try it. A few days of roughing it as we ladies do habitually will convince the most skeptical. I know that was
1: super long, but can't you just hear her attitude in that? Oh my no, I words. love it. Well, and I love that she spoke out about it. You know, like if I had heard when I was on the field, you know, someone saying, oh, it's not hard or whatever, I would probably roll my eyes and be like, okay, whatever. They just don't know. But she was like, nope, nope. I'm not letting this go. This is not okay. I am going to respond. (laughs) Yeah. So, in light of all that, while
0: the biblical recorder is saying the hardships are over, of eight new missionaries who came after Lottie by 1887, Three were dead, three had had breakdowns and left the field, and one had resigned over doctrinal issues. Obviously, the hardships were not over and they needed more reinforcement. And so, Lottie, continuing to speak her mind, is is writing back and going, Why, when there are 1 million Southern Baptists, do we only have one man and three women witnessing to 30 million souls? Come on, people, you know? And so, she became a mouthpiece saying things like a Christian should ask not if it's his duty to go to the heathen, but if he may dare stay, the command is so plain to go. And, and I feel like, you know, we have to, when we say we're going to go and we make that choice, we spend the next one to three years explaining why and going through all of the training, you know? And it's like, if, if we really looked at it, everyone else should be having to explain why are we not going, you know, or at least living a life of go. And so you know, when she, when she meant, when we mentioned that one person who left the field for um, doctrinal issues, I imagine how much that hit home with her as she was dealing with this, you know, relationship. And it says that she tried, um, his name was Halcomb, and she tried to reason with him, and even Lottie couldn't convince him. And so, after all of that continued loss upon her, she had lost a sister, a potential spouse. A co-laborer but she never lost her passion and her faith to continue doing what she was doing um and so after 10 years serving in ting chow she, in the surrounding villages she decided it was time to go inland to Pingtu. and so in 1885 she decided that she wanted uh, to transition into the village but here's the deal no woman had started a, a mission before and it was really dangerous. At the time, it was the 12th largest population in the world. No missionary had been able to establish work there. And in fact, the U.S. consul was so strongly opposed to any woman going inland because she couldn't be protected there. But guess what? People, did that stop Lottie? No. So she became the first woman to open a new mission station. And, you know, she was she was headstrong, but she wasn't unaware of her weakness. In fact, she... She said, I feel my weakness and inability to accomplish anything without the aid of the Holy spirit. And so in her writings, then she began to say, I can't do this without you all praying for me. And so she wrote back and she was like, pray for an outpouring of the Holy spirit here in Ping Tu, that, that I might be clothed with power on high from the indwelling of the Holy spirit. And you know, what began to happen His people gave their lives to Christ and converts were formed and more missionaries were sent out. and you know, just the importance of prayer and, and asking in and inviting that in and recognizing with humility, I this work is not of me, I can't do it. And I'm propelled at the same time to do it. And um, so one of the ways that uh, a legacy item, if we're going to call out those here in this legacy podcast um, that Lottie Moon used as she was in the villages were these things that are called the Lottie Moon cookies today. Have you ever had one, Sarah?
1: I haven't. No, tell, tell me about them. Well, as I was
0: reading about them, I was intrigued because I guess it was like a shortbread cookie and she used to bake them in her home and then give them to children to kind of, you know, earn their trust. It could sound a little bit creepy. You know, we tell our kids don't take candy from strangers, but she is sharing these cookies that I'm sure smelled wonderful. And as the children gained trust with Lottie, they would take her to meet their families. And so it was this invitation into their homes so that she could um, do the work of teaching the gospel. And so um, Lottie Moon Cookies became a thing. We actually have the recipe for that. We will share that in our show notes if you want to try Lottie Moon Cookies. And actually the, the link that we're going to share has a way for you to to kind of teach your children about it as well. If you want to do that, it's kind of walking you through that. But so she, you know, obviously she was resourceful. She wanted to use anything she could to be able to teach the gospel. She would, she thought outside the box. Um, and yet she was a woman and she understood that the view of the day was that women couldn't teach men. So when she would teach, she wouldn't let men come in the room, but they still wanted to come in the room. And so then if through her, their overhearing, they chose to follow and when people would confront her about it, she's like, okay, well, where are the men? If you don't want me doing this, then send them in, you know? And so um, there was one student named Li Xiaoting Ting, and he came to Christ through her teaching. And, um, you know, she would pull him aside and then teach him how to teach others. And this particular gentleman later became the greatest evangelist of North China, baptizing upwards of 10,000 people. Wow. And so- The impact of women and the way that God uses them, even in a time when they were being prevented, you know, I just think is so powerful.
1: Well, and her work, you know, finding a way to share the gospel, finding a way to make it work, I think is so cool. Not just saying, oh, I can't do this. So I'm stuck.
0: (laughs) I'm relegated to tea parties in the kitchen with women, and we'll see what happens. But she just, you know, I get the impression that she understood and tried to respect, but also felt the greater call of the gospel understood and tried to respect the, the going theory of the day was women not teaching men, you know? Um, and yet she felt the greater call of spreading the gospel. And so she just, she became hardy and she, she stayed in a time when other people were leaving, like in 1911, the Chinese revolution broke out and everybody left and she took over the hospital because she was a good manager. And, you know, when people came back, they're like, oh, wow, you did a great job. You know, she she just stayed, but she began to really realize we have to have more help. The work mm-hmm. is too great. There's too few of us. We need more funding. And so what is the most memorable or noticed legacy of Lottie Moon is started in 1887 and so this is when her letter her charge for for more support came and so she says things like she's comparing to the Methodist church and how much work they're doing and why are the Baptists not doing this if the Methodists are doing this And she says, how many there among our women believe that because Jesus paid it all, they need to pay nothing. Can't you just hear her on my word? And so she suggests that they spend a week of prayer together for global missions, followed by an offering gathered at Christmas time, because this is the most appropriate time to think of others and to be generous. And so by the end of 1888, the women's missionary union had raised enough money to send three more women to help Lottie out. And so... I think about her hearing that her receiving that word and her like realizing, okay, this made a difference. I've inspired people. Wow. There's work coming. And then she's probably thinking back to the Lottie that just arrived to the field and the Lottie that was wealthy and had this view of the Chinese people. And it motive probably she's like going, Oh my word, Uh, Who am I getting? What, what are these people that are coming to me? What are they going to be thinking? And so, so then she shoots off this letter to them. Okay. So tell the new missionaries that are coming to a life of that. They're coming to a life of hardship, responsibility, constant self-denial, and they must live the greater part of the time in Chinese houses in close contact with people. They will be alone in the interior and they will need to be strong and courageous. She's telling, she's like, you better come with the right attitude. I don't want you to know what you're getting into. Yes. And she's like, oh, my word, what are you sending me? So she was preparing them for hardship. And at a time when the suffering was increasing, as more people came to know the Lord um, and responded to the gospel, they began being beaten and When they stopped worshiping their ancestral tablets, the family members turned on them. And at one point, um, one church came running up to Lottie telling them about some persecution that was happening. And she hurried to the scene and she stood in front of the persecutors. And she said, if you try to destroy this church, you're going to have to kill me first. Jesus gave himself for us as Christians, and I am ready to die for them now. And so, you know, just imagine four foot three Lottie, you know, like running and, saying all this stuff. And then, so similarly, I love this story. You know how we talked about how she had really adopted the Chinese dress. So there was another, during the Boxer Rebellion. So this is around, you know, like 1899, around the turn of the century. This is a lot, you know, probably in her fifties. My math is, you know, you guys can figure it out, but, um, she heard again that Christians were under attack in Pingtu. And as soon as she heard the news, she wanted to get there, but she knew it'd be risky because she was a foreigner. And so she got together in the enclosed sedan chair. Sarah, did you ever see any of these types of chairs? I'm just imagining, but I never served in Asia.
1: Not when I was in Asia, but I've seen them in a museum. So yeah, they're not actually like that big. Oh, okay. But I picture them like there's probably, are they poles and they're carried by people?
0: And then there's like Mm -hmm. an enclosure so you can be protected. Well, she dressed in an official's clothing. She put on large rimmed glasses. She slicked back her hair and wearing on her head, she had an official's hat with a bright red button and she didn't stay closed and that. She opened the flaps, she leaned out and just with every confidence that she was supposed to be there, safely rode into the area where the Christians were being persecuted you know and so upon arrival she removed the disguise and she found 13 Christians who had been brutally tortured and so she was able to encourage them and it meant so much to them knowing that she had to risk her life they knew what it would have taken for her to get there and as as time went on you know she began struggling in her health so furloughs were finally approved her groundwork that she laid earlier were approved in 1891 so at 1903 she is 63 years old she returned to the states to get some rest and those who had known her could see that she was struggling and they they really didn't want her to go back and she they wanted her to retire and Lottie responded nothing could make me stay here China is my joy and my delight it is my home now and for those of us who know the complicated word home um, we know that Lottie had resolved that in her heart and China was her home. So she did return to Asia and she immediately jumped into organizing day schools and counseling and teaching and overseeing Sunday schools in the addition to her main work of evangelizing and 250 people a year were being baptized in Pingtu. However, in the midst of all of this, Lottie says those words that the first thing that I heard about Lottie Moon when I was doing research to teach a class was this line was the, I pray that no missionary will ever be as lonely as I have been. So in light of her work and the fruit that she was finally being able to see, she was terribly lonely. You know, Sarah, I think it's interesting when you, when you do the math, it was about 20 years, 18 to 20 years that she was serving before she began to see this fruit. And when you look at back at the beginning of the story, when you were telling us about how long it took for her to be convinced by the gospel, it was about 18 to 20 years. That was when she decided. And so it was like, again, she had to be there that whole time for it to sink in and for the fruit to be, to be seen. But there, a famine hit in the year 1911 and things began to get really hard. And she um, wrote for more help. She says, "It's, it's so hard to see men collapsing on the side of the road. Their sacks of grain are still beside them as they died of starvation on their way back to their families. She told of mothers sending their children away from home, just hoping someone would feed them. And she writes, how can we bear to sit down to our bountiful tables and know of such things and not bestir ourselves to help? Missionaries not only give their money, but they give their lives. And she's pleading for funds that just were not there. The the mission board was overextended. It was in debt and they could send nothing. And so what we now know is that Lottie used her own funds to provide as much relief as possible. And that meant she was starving herself and she began to realize that she was struggling physically. And so she asked another missionary, Dr. Adams to come and help her write her will. I think she was feeling like, I don't think I'm going to bounce back from this. And so when he came to her, he was astonished at how she had deteriorated so quickly. Um, She weighed only 50 pounds at this time. And he realized she had made the decision to give her food to the impoverished Chinese neighbors instead of eating herself. Um, So as word got out that to the other missionaries she was serving with about her physical health. The missionaries were like, no, you have to go back. You have to get well. We can't help you recover here. There's just not the means we're all in famine. And so they, they said, you have to go back to the States. And she was just mentally and physically not able to fight. And from what we know about her, she was a fighter. And so you can just, even from that one sentence, understand that she had given it all. Even her spunk was gone. So Cynthia Miller was um, a woman that accompanied her on the ship, and um, the ship was to take her, you know, back to the states. And so she was delivered into a quiet room on the ship. And one night, Lottie was whispering to Miss Miller, and she was whispering the song "Jesus Loves Me," which, in lots of you know research you do, you realize that that was a song she taught a lot to mm-hmm. the children and to the people there. And um, she was asking her, do you know that song, you know, Miss Miller? And so they, they sang it together and, and then Lottie asked her, will you, will you sing Simply Trusting Every Day? And so Miss Miller sang that to her and um, Lottie continued to get weaker to where she couldn't speak any longer. And um, it was with a great effort at the you know end of that, that she rose her fists together in a fashion of a fond Chinese greeting. And then she passed away. So, it says on Tuesday, December fourth, nineteen twelve, the captain of the ship wrote in the harbor of Kobe, Japan. Miss Lottie Moon, age seventy-two, died of melancholia and senility. The remains were cremated at Yokohama on December twenty-six. Personal effects consisting of one steamer trunk taken care of by Miss Cynthia Miller, her traveling companion and friend. I was a little frustrated to read that that he determined she died of melancholia and senility. You know, like, because I feel like she died of starvation and mm-hmm. stress. And, you know, um, but maybe that was just what they said of older women in that day. We assume that she was senile and that's why she died. But um, it says the remains of Charlotte Diggs were returned to the Foreign Missions Board in a small brown package delivered to a young war- woman working as a clerk. Imagine being the young woman and receiving this package. And like holding in your hands and did she even realize the legacy Mm -hmm. that she was being delivered, you know, that she held that the Chinese mourned her greatly and they asked when will the heavenly book visitor come again? And what I love about this is that um, the Chinese people and her friends carved a plaque that said Lottie Moon and underneath it was the phrase how she loved us
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and she didn't need to be the one that was getting the credit. She didn't have to be um, famous for what she did, but her love for people was what moved them. And in the year that she died, almost 2,500 people were baptized where she worked. And that was the fruit of a woman who said, I would, I had a thousand lives that I might give them to China. So Lottie Moon is way more than the Lottie Moon Christmas Fund then gathering money. She, she was a force on both sides of the ocean, um, mobilizing people and mobilizing the gospel where she was. Um, I don't know, as, as I think about the things that Sarah, what, what would you pull out? What was meaningful for you about this story about Lottie?
1: There are so many things, but one of the things that I was thinking about Especially as you were talking about this, you know, potential relationship that she had, even though um, it ended up that it probably wouldn't have worked, but she went at a time when single women were not really going. And, you know, there's even today some question of the role of single women. There can be, you know, I went as a single woman and there were times when that was even questioned, you know, even just a few years ago. But Lottie went as a single and it was, it was her calling. It was her love for the people. It was her love for God and the gospel that propelled her. And so even as a single and perhaps, you know, even the gifts of her singleness that helped her be able to do the work that she was doing, I think can just be an encouragement for single women and the roles that we can have, the things that we can do, and the importance of encouraging single women to go. Absolutely. And, and that, you
0: know, when you feel oppressed, maybe by the way that things are in your culture as a serving as a woman or as a single woman, I mean, sometimes women in general, whether you're married or single, just face greater issues, even if if that's with your sending agency, your sending church, you know, the way that they view what you're allowed to do, you know, that she was still effective um, in a time when it was much harder, even than it is for us today as women. Um, I really, I love, I love the light she was shining on mental health and Mm -hmm. the, the work of, we need rest and speaking out about that and not trying to be the hero and not trying to be perceived as superhuman, you know, and laying the groundwork for You know, member care that we have today, and the idea of you know rest and protecting that, taking care of yourself. Um, You know what a pioneer she was in that field, and I love you know just her tension with culture and how she Mm. she tried to rightly view that as my my main culture war is delivering the gospel in a way that it is accepted and not delivering my culture to the place that I'm going and. Her view on that as well. I, there's there's yeah. so many that I think I will even continue to think about and be inspired by. From Yeah.
1: You know, we've talked a little bit about her letters and the impact of those. And it just makes me think, you know, when we go overseas, typically we think of the impact that we are going to have where we are going and, you know, immersing ourselves in that culture and loving the people. And obviously that is such a huge part of our role, but Lottie's role, it seems like was twofold. She had this long standing correspondence with the head of the foreign missions board, you know, so many letters and seeking to change even the missions culture of the time. And, you know, so just like thinking about that, that dual role that she had and the impact that we can have as we tell stories, as we share, as we look at how can I add my voice, you know, to something that might need to be shifted or changed. And even even the the importance of a letter or an email or whatever that looks like, you know, today. Well, even today, I think about women in our Velvet Ashes community who
0: are great storytellers on social media and mm-hmm. they journey people with them Their senders, their friends, and share their life willingly, and that that is a prolific ministry. And so, if you're great at that, whether that is through letters or through your social media, you know that that is that is a way that you can um, be impactful on both sides of your world. And that, but okay, I hope that. You have enjoyed listening to the Lottie Moon story. Sarah and I have loved digging into this. We look forward to jumping in next month with another story for you. Um, If you have enjoyed this, feel free to share it with others. who might be blessed by it. We appreciate any feedback. If you have ideas about people you'd like to hear about, let us know. We will put some show notes in here for where we got some of our information and also those Lottie Moon tea cake recipe. Sarah, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, so fun to share this story with all of you. And until next time, remember, you may be living the story that will be the courage for someone else's legacy. What a pleasure to be home in your car. Oh.